Welcome to Rams Up, your weekly Los Angeles Rams podcast. We get into SoCal sports news of interest, but we'll mostly talk about what's happening with your L.A. Rams. I'm your host, Mark. We are, by the way, a member of the Pigskin Podcast Network. Let's get to it. Welcome, Ram fans. We're on to episode 25. Can you believe it? And we're just two weeks away from the Rams' first preseason game of 2021. Gotta admit, I'm starting to get pumped for this season. What's in store this episode? Well, we'll open up with our Rams camp roundup. News coming out of the Rams camp, along with a smattering of other NFL news. A little bit to cover on the SoCal sports scene, mostly about those Dodger and Laker trades. We'll touch on the Olympics real quickly and revisit the college football upheaval. And we finally have our Tory Holt segment, the greatness of Tory Holt and why the Bruce Holt wide receiver duo might be the best ever. We have your back, Isaac. And by the way, next week, a little teaser we will be sharing our first version of the Rams Up Power Rankings. Where do the Rams land? Well, you have to come back next week and find out. That should be lots of fun. Let's get started with our Rams Roundup. Less than two weeks until the Battle for L.A. Actually, the Battle for L.A. has already been won by the Rams, but August 14th, the Rams do play the Chargers at SoFi Stadium. They've got a few days of camp underneath their belt. Some news to share out of Rams camp. Lots of things to get excited about already, and a couple things that are a little bothersome. One thing we'll mention is Daryl Henderson will not be playing in the preseason, at all, according to Sean McVay. I know there had been a couple people suggesting that Xavier Jones would end up being the number one running back. I said hogwash right from the start. It's going to be Daryl Henderson, and it appears that that is the case. And I've heard that he has looked incredible in camp. A few other notes around the league related to the Rams. The Seahawks have signed former Ram backup Sean Mannion, backup quarterback, And Janoris Jenkins is now with the Titans, so he'll be visiting the Rams in L.A. And by the way, kind of cute little thing that Titans did, they list him on the roster as Jackrabbit Jenkins, his longtime nickname. Carson Wentz has suffered a foot injury of some kind. No word on how long he's going to be out, but the Colts' first two games happen to be the Seahawks and the Rams, and that Seahawk luck Striking again, I'm betting that he'll miss that first game and be back for the Rams. I'm not really too concerned about that either way. I think the Rams will be able to handle anything Carson Wentz throws at them. Bigger concern is the Colts' rushing game. I wanted to mention how it's uh, it's kind of interesting how Rams players sometimes do not get the recognition they deserve. And then they leave via free agency and suddenly... They're an incredible player, and the Rams are screwed. Latest example is John Johnson. 
Now, prior to the 2020 season, and granted, Johnson was coming back from injury. He had played only six games a year before. But prior to the 2020 season, he was not listed as a top 25 safety by pro football focus. So he comes back in 2020, and actually, statistically, it was not one of his best efforts. And don't get me wrong, I love the guy. I think he's a fantastic safety, and I do think the Rams will miss him to some degree, mostly for leadership. But 2020 was not a great year, statistically, if you look at his tackles and interceptions. He had four interceptions in 16 games in 2018, two in six games in 2019, and only one last year. Nothing remarkable, really, as far as passes defended or tackles for a loss last year either. And I've always thought one of the weaknesses of his game was catching the ball interception-wise. I've seen him drop a few over the years. So how did Pro Football Focus rate him prior to the 2021 season? After statistically, I wouldn't say his worst year, but nothing special compared to 2018 and 2019. He's the third best safety in the league. The Cleveland Browns' John Johnson is now the third best safety in the league. Who would have thought? But that's the way it goes if you're a Los Angeles Rams. I've seen this over and over again. I've read through a lot of practice notes, watched some film, read a lot of other writers, what they've had to say, comments on Twitter, press conferences, and such. And I think we can identify some players whose arrows are pointing up at this point after one week of camp. Number one would be Terrell Burgess. From what I heard, first day out, he was just tearing it up, making that loss of John Johnson perhaps painless. He showed sparks last year. I think we knew we were onto something with Terrell Burgess, and based on his camp performances so far, the guy's going to give Taylor Rapp a battle for that starting safety spot next to Jordan Fuller. Arrow's also pointed up for those linebackers, specifically Ernest Jones, Trevan Howard, and Micah Kaiser. All three of them bringing the good so far. I know Sean McVay has called out all three of them. Arrow might be pointing up for Kendall Blanton, a guy we forget about, a tight end, perhaps fourth on the depth chart coming in. But some current events may be helping out his cause. We'll get to that in a second. I already mentioned Daryl Henderson and his performance. He's looked really explosive by all accounts and will be the number one back. And the arrow is also pointing up for the Rams' vertical game. Stafford to Jackson, we've heard about that a couple of times. And I think the Rams need to throw vertically often in this preseason and in camp. Get it out there any way they can. The Rams are throwing the ball deep and they're fully capable of doing that and succeeding at that. So glad to see Stafford and Jackson are hooking up, something we haven't had since Brandon Cooks left. Arrow's pointing down in a few areas. Uh, the arrow, unfortunately, is pointing down for a few guys, mainly a bunch of rookies, and not by their own fault, at least I don't think so. Tutu Atwell, he's had a strange rookie year. First, he had those two uniform reveal gaffes, and now he's on the COVID-19 list. So he's probably falling behind. Jacob Harris had surgery, some type of core injury, so his participation is delayed a little bit. Robert Rochelle, wrist injury, 
surgery, hopefully not out for long. And Bobby Brown III, the defensive lineman, has a thumb injury, and he'll be out a little bit. Now, all four of these guys do not appear to be out long-term, but it's not helpful for their development. To wrap up this Rams roundup, I want to share some thoughts with you. My special assistant and I have always got kicks out of coaches' press conference and the questions reporters ask and the answers the coach gives. No one's at fault here. The coach cannot give truthful answers in a lot of situations. But what if you could slip some truth serum into Sean McVay's morning coffee? What questions would you ask as a diehard sports fan? You really want to know. You really got to know. And I thought of a few I'll share with you. I don't necessarily have the answers to these. are certainly not answers I feel confident with, but I'll share them with you. Question number one. When that Rams defense takes the field for the first time this season, who will be the 11 defenders? Now, I think Donald... Joseph Day and Robinson will be on that defensive line. Leonard Floyd will be on the edge. I think the secondary will be made up of Williams, Ramsey, Fuller, and Burgess. The remaining question depends on what offense you're looking at. We're talking about the Chicago Bears. Where do they run out there for the first play? Two linebackers. Is it Ernest Jones and Trevin Howard? Two guys that are more inside linebacker types. Or is it one linebacker with an extra DB, David Long, Taylor Rapp? But I think those are the names that will all be in the mix. Didn't mention Micah Kaiser. He'd be next man up, perhaps. Troy Reader. Question number two. After Daryl Henderson, who is the next running back that's going to touch the ball? I'm guessing it's Xavier Jones, but... What do we know? You can't ask McVeigh and get a straight answer on that, right? Need to slip him some truth serum. Question number three. Who will end up with the second most snaps at tight end at the end of the season? There's like four candidates right now, right? Jacob Harris, Bryson Hopkins, Johnny Mund, Kendall Blanton. I have no clue. Everybody's expecting it to be Harris. But, hey, he's a rookie. He's missing time right now. I bet you McVay knows. He's got a pretty good idea who that guy's going to be. This fourth question may have already been answered. Who's going to be wearing that green dot on defense? It was John Johnson last year. It looks like it's going to be Jordan Fuller. From what I have been told, he's had it every practice session so far. So we may already have our answer for that. Another question I would love to ask Sean McVeigh if I had him sitting here next to me and I said, Sean, I swear I will not tell anybody except for people that listen to my podcast. He said after the 2020 draft that they got Cam Akers right, but he said, there was four guys we wanted. There were four guys we were targeting and Cam Akers was one of them. Wouldn't you like to know who those other three are? I would. That's the type of inside information that would just be so cool to know. But that's the type of information no coach is going to share, unfortunately. So those are our truth serum questions for Sean McVay. That's our Rams roundup. 
We'll have more every week on developments in camp, and we'll have a preview of that Ram Charger game soon enough. Next up is our SoCal and, in this special case, World Sports Roundup. Get through our SoCal Sports Roundup, talk a little bit about college football and the Olympics real briefly. Major League Baseball, the NL West, things are starting to heat up. The Giants and Dodgers both making major moves. Dodgers trade a bunch of prospects for Trey Turner and Matt Scherzer. What about that Dodger infield? Justin Turner, solid at third. When they're all healthy, Corey Seager, Trey Turner, and Gavin Lux can all play short. Turner, Lux, and Max Muncy can all play second. Max Muncy and Cody Bellinger can both play first, along with Albert Pujols. And don't forget Chris Taylor, who can play just about anywhere. He's quickly becoming my favorite Dodger. Guy shows up every day. Clutch hitter. What I liked about Turner is he's a right-handed hitter, so... Seeker and Lux both from the left side. Mookie Betts from the right side, but hits he hits right-handed batters better. So finally, some balance in that lineup, perhaps, as far as lefty versus righty. See how the Dodgers play that out if they sit Seeger against lefties, perhaps. No expert on the Dodgers, but it seems like there's going to be some very good players sitting depending on the pitching situation. Remaining concerns for the Dodgers. Mookie Betts needs to get healthy and stay healthy. And Cody Bellinger. Last I looked, he went 2 for 5 to raise his average to 163. Needless to say, that's way below the Mendoza line. The Giants didn't sit pat. They added Chris Bryant from the Cubs, so they add a big bat. And the Padres... Unfortunately, they took a hit. Fernando Tatis hurts his shoulder, and there is even the possibility he could undergo surgery that would put him out for the year and would probably sink the Padres' hopes of a playoff run, in my opinion. Without Tatis, they're in big trouble. But hopefully he can come back. My understanding is they're monitoring that day-to-day. If it does not improve... Surgery will be on the horizon. So the Dodgers traded with the Washington Nationals, and the Lakers traded with the Washington Wizards, adding Russell Westbrook. Really interesting, because ever since the Lakers added LeBron James, the thought has been they need shooters. They need outside shooters. They need people that that can hit the threes. And that was certainly something that was missing last year, especially in the playoffs. And that's not Russell Westbrook's game, that's for sure. Dynamic, athletic guy, mid-range shot, gets to the rim, as intense as they come, but not a shooter. The Lakers didn't even cover him in the playoffs when he had the ball on the outside. So we'll see how that goes. They still need to add some shooters, though. And so what did the Rams do after the Dodgers traded with Washington and the Lakers traded with Washington? They had a pretty cool tweet out there. Hey, Washington football team, we got a 2093 first-round pick. What do you guys have? 
it's kind of cool when a team trolls themselves. Get back into the college football discussion real quick. This is going to be an ongoing story. Who knows where it's going to go, but it's getting really messy. One of the things I learned in the last week is is that there was a four-man commission exploring the playoff expansion to 12 teams. And who was on that committee? Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner. Bob Bowlesby, the Big 12 commissioner. Jack Swarbrick the Notre Dame Athletic Director, and Craig Thompson, the Mountain West Commissioner. No Pac-12 guys, no Big Ten guys, no ACC guys. That's fine. But while the SEC Commissioner Sankey and the Big 12 Commissioner Bowlesby were discussing this playoff expansion, on the side, Sankey is working with Oklahoma and Texas to join his conference, unbeknownst to the Big 12 Commissioner sitting next to him. So these two conversations might not have been happening simultaneously, but nonetheless. So that's a bad look. And one of the things I see evolving out of this is they're going to start pumping the brakes on the playoff expansion, especially the Pac-12, Big Ten guys, everybody except the SEC for that matter, because the new playoff format would definitely favor an SEC loaded with 16 teams. A lot of people pointing the finger at ESPN and their arrangement with the SEC. Those two are exclusive partners in conference media rights. So this is really just a business maneuver, unfortunately. That could be the root cause of all of this. College football is changing before our very eyes, and not necessarily for the better. I'll talk more about the college football playoff format and how it would work. And how these conferences outside of the SEC can fight back and set things right. But we'll save that for another episode. Real quickly on the Olympics, Aaron Donald got a shout out. Former Olympian Rowdy Gaines, I'll quote him. He was talking about Caleb Dressel, the American swimmer. Look at this guy just explode off the block. Coming off the line like, I don't know, Aaron Donald. It's kind of cool. The other thing I will say about the Olympics is really disappointed in NBC's coverage, and I'm also really disappointed in their policy of not letting any Olympic videos on Twitter feeds. The Rams actually posted a snippet of Rowdy Gaines' comment during that race, kind of celebrating the fact that Aaron Donald got a call out, had to take it down. NBC forced him to take it down, and that's why you have seen zero video coverage of the Olympics on Twitter, unless it's coming from NBC, I presume, but very disappointing. Really bad move as far as I'm concerned. Those little feeds I see on Twitter are sometimes what gets me to go watch something. You'll see none of it for these Olympics. There is actually a really cool race, one by that Alaskan swimmer, And what a big moment for the state of Alaska. What you see on Twitter, you saw the gymnasium of everybody reacting to her win. But no video of the actual finish of the race. Seems really stupid to me. And that's our SoCal, and in this case, our World Sports Roundup.
a few weeks ago. You may remember Isaac Bruce came out and said that the Bruce-Holt combination was the greatest wide receiver duo in the history of the NFL. Got a lot of people spun up. How dare Isaac Bruce boast for once in his life. So I thought I'd do some analysis on this. I've been promising this for a couple of weeks. I've done some research, looked into this, thought I'd share it with everybody. The other combinations that have come up in these discussions are Jerry Rice and Terrell Owens, Jerry Rice and John Taylor, Randy Moss and Chris Carter, Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne. And I think it makes sense to limit this discussion to those combinations, those wide receiver duos. Now, I went through Pro Football References stats and compiled this all by myself. I think it's pretty accurate. This is the result of my research, though, so hopefully I don't have any errors here. Let's look at these guys from a total yards perspective first while playing together. At the bottom of the heap was Rice Owens, under 9,000 yards. They only played together for five years. Next up is Carter and Moss. Chris Carter and Randy Moss played together for just four years, under 10,000 yards. Reggie Wayne and Marvin Harrison played together for eight years, 17,208 yards. Jerry Rice and John Taylor Played together for nine years, 18,224 yards. And who's on top of the heap? Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt. Nine years, 21,310 yards. Pretty impressive. So right there, Bruce and Holt get the gold medal. Rice and Taylor get the silver. Let's look at total TDs. Rice and Taylor take the gold there, 171. Wayne and Harrison next up with 162. Bruce and Holt with 126. Now, Bruce and Holt have a little bit of a handicap here, namely because of a guy named Marshall Falk, but we'll leave it at that. So Bruce and Holt have a, a gold and a bronze when we stack these up total yards, and total TDs. What about average? Bruce and Holt were together for nine years, the same as Rice and Taylor, more than the other duos. So it's more likely they're going to have more yards. But hey, if we're talking about greatest wide receiver duos, do we talk about total yards or average yards? You could take it either way, actually. Average yards, Carter and Moss take the gold, 2,448 yards per season over their four years. So they didn't do it for long, but they were pretty impressive when they were together. Next up, Bruce and Holt, right behind them, 2,368 yards. When you consider that they maintained that average over nine seasons, that's pretty incredible. Next up is Rice and Taylor averaging 2,025 yards. So a silver medal for Bruce and Holt. So they got a gold, silver, and bronze here. Average TDs. Bruce and Holt are actually in last place in this regard. And again, we can blame that primarily on Marshall Falk, I think. Who's leading the way? Carter and Moss with over 23 average touchdowns between them for their four seasons. 
So when I look at this data, I think you can make a pretty strong argument that Bruce and Holt were the best wide receiver duo. For nine years, they compiled the most yards of any duo that I could find, and they were second in average yards as well. The only thing they're a little short on is TDs, and again, thank you very much, Marshall Falk. Greatest show on turf. Had to spread it around among three-plus guys, and that hurts Bruce and Holt when it comes to TDs. So, Isaac, I agree with you, and all the haters out there that I saw apparently have not looked at the data. I also wanted to spend a moment on the greatness of Torrey Holt. We got Isaac in the Hall of Fame, so I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on that. We need to get Torrey into the Hall of Fame, and anything we can do for his cause, I'm all in. Pretty impressive career statistics, 920 receptions, 13,382 yards, and 74 TDs. His first three years in the league, his team scored over 500 points. We all know how great Torrey Holt is, and the question is, was he hurt because he shared the field with Isaac Bruce, Isaac Bruce and Marshall Falk, Isaac Bruce, Marshall Falk, and Asa came for three years anyways? And the answer is probably yes. If Torrey Holt had been the primary receiver on that team, the number one guy during the greatest show on turf, would they have been the greatest show on turf? Maybe not. But it would have certainly allowed Torrey Holt to shine even more. With the greatest show on turf, it's almost like there is a pecking order on who gets into the Hall of Fame, at at least in what order. Falk, Pace, Warner, Bruce. I'm not sure if that's the order, but I think we'd all agree that Holt would probably be fifth. And to close out this discussion, I don't have my fearsome four questions, but I have my fearsome four reasons Tory Holt belongs in the Hall of Fame. For some reason, one, Tory Holt belongs in the Hall of Fame. Seven Pro Bowls, two All-Pro, and on the All-2000 Decade Team. For some reason, two, Tory Holt is one of only five receivers in the history of the league with two 1,600-yard seasons. The others, Marvin Harrison, Antonio Brown, Calvin Johnson, and Julio Jones. You won't find Randy Moss on that list. No Jerry Rice, no Chris Carter, no Terrell Owens. For some reason, three, Torrey Holt belongs in the Hall of Fame. Six consecutive seasons with over 1,300 yards, a league record. For some reason, four, Torrey Holt belongs in the Hall of Fame. He was an integral part of the Greatest Show on Turf, one of the most entertaining and influential offenses in NFL history. That offense was so dynamic and so exciting and so entertaining, and not just to Ram fans, to everyone. And Torrey Holt was a main piece of that offense. When I think of the Greatest Show on Turf, I think of four guys. Warner, Falk, Bruce, and Holt. Sure, everybody else had a role. Orlando Pace was a big piece of that. Adam Timmerman, 
Oz Hakim, but it's really those four guys, and all four of them belong in the Hall of Fame. Torrey Holt, his time better be coming. And I'm going to keep beating this drum until it happens. That's going to do it for this episode. Remember, you can reach out to us at ramsuppodcast at gmail.com. Visit our website at ramsup.com. And please, subscribe and give us that five-star rating. We really appreciate it. And remember, keep the horns up, stay safe, and have fun out there.